Ben-Hadad comes and his messengers are making a lot of noise. And so the king of Israel, after gathering all the people of Israel, the elders together, they said, don't consent, don't listen to him. And so the king of Israel answered and said, tell him, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. And, and really what this phrase mean, means is, let not the one who starts a fight boast prematurely of winning it. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher, Rob Kellogg. After consulting with the elders regarding the possible surrender to Syria, Ahab took the advice of the elders and said to Ben-Hadad, Let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. Though it was uncharacteristically bold speech from Ahab, it was also a wonderful piece of wisdom. The idea is that you should do your boasting after the battle, not before. Syria and its allies readied, and the city of Samaria braced for the furious attack. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress. Then the messengers, verse 5, came to him, came back, and said, Thus speaks Ben-Hadad, saying, Indeed, I have sent to you, saying, You shall deliver me your silver and your gold, your wives and your children, but I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time, and they shall search your house and the house of your servants, and it shall be that whatever is pleasant in your eyes, yes, the Monet paintings, yes, the Picasso paintings, starry, starry night, sorry, but it's got to go. I want it in my kingdom now. you got to give up the Mona Lisa. you got to give up all this stuff, and it's coming to me. And oh, by the way, your beautiful wives... And your kids, they all coming with me. Notice, <laughs> and he says, And whatever's pleasant in my servants' eyes, they will put in their hands, and they will take it. And so the king, verse 7, of Israel, called all the elders of the land and said, Notice, please, and see how this man seeks trouble, for he sent to me for my wives, my children, my silver, my gold, and I did not deny him. I was willing to give him that. And all the elders of the people said to him, Do not listen or consent. Now, one thing you have to remember is that Israel right now, even in the northern kingdom, they're having a little bit, they're probably having a little bit of a revival. After the prophets of Baal have been executed, they, they all agree, he, God, Yahweh is God, and so there's this stirring in them, and so they've got some chutzpah to say, you know what, tell that guy to go away. They got just enough zeal to tell him, you know what, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him, don't consent. And therefore, he said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, verse 9, Tell my lord the king, all that you sent for your servant the first time I will do, but this thing I cannot do. And the messengers departed and brought back word to him. And then Ben-Hadad sent to him and said, The gods do so to me and more also. Underline this phrase, because it happens twice in the book of Kings, 
First and second Kings, it happens twice. And it, um, God that made the, the gods do so to me and more also if enough dust is left of Samaria for a handful for each of the people who follow me. In other words, I'm going to destroy you and I'm going to level your city. The first time we hear of this um, is uh, we see this f- familiar phrase in First Kings, may the gods do to me and more also. We see it in, in verse, or excuse me, chapter 19. Remember verse 2. You can put that off in the margin of your Bible because that's the first time um, you see it. And then here, you see it in First Kings 20, verse 10. And... Jezebel said that very same thing, if you remember, when she gave this message to Elijah. After Jezebel found out about the killing of the prophets of Baal, what did she say? So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And you know what? God is going to make sure that her oath is brought to pass. Because you might want to write, actually, write the reference down, and then I'm just going to read it to you for the sake of time, okay? It's 2 Kings chapter 9, beginning in verse 30 down through 37, because we find uh, there's, a, there's some time that transpires between where we're at right now in chapter 20 until we get to 2 Kings, I'm sorry, from your perspective, from where we're at now in 1 Kings 20 to 2 Kings chapter 9. Uh, verse 30 through 37, because we'll see that God is going to see to it that her oath that she made to her gods, so the God, let the gods do to me and more also, if, I don't, you know, if you're not dead by tomorrow about this time, and God's going to make sure that this evil woman is executed. Yes, and let me read it to you. In verse 30 of 2 Kings chapter 9, and we see the end of this all, and we'll get to this in, in due time, but it says now, when Yehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and, and by this time her husband had already died. Ahab has already passed from the scene. We're going to be reading about that in the next week or so. But now some time, a little bit of time goes by, and she still hasn't changed. Jezebel heard of it, that Yehu was coming to Jezreel, and she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through a window. And then as Yehu entered at the gate, she said, Is, is it peace, Zimri? Murderer of your master? And he looked up at the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And so two or three eunuchs looked out at him, and then he said, Throw her down. And they threw her down. And some of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. And he had... And when he had gone in, he ate and drank, and then he said, Go now, see to this accursed woman, and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. And so they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. And therefore they came back and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which was spoken by his servant Elisha the Tishbite, saying, On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel. And the corpse of Jezebel shall be as the refuse on the surface of the field in the plot of, at Jezreel, so that they shall say, uh, so that they shall um, not say, "Here lies Jezebel." They couldn't find her because her her body was eaten by dogs. And God allowed that. It had been prophesied that that was going to happen. And it's really a horrible thing, you know. When I think of a woman, I think of a nurturer. I think of someone who is caring and. You know, I, I really believe um, that the, the woman, the sex, 
of a woman is is the better of the two, in my opinion, in so many ways. Because they're, 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 they, they are nurturing, they are caring, and, and there's such a wonderful thing about women that I think are, is so awesome that God made. And God forbid that we should have a world with just men. I mean, think of how horrible that would be. Uh, but, you know, but God made women, and, and just their, their kindness, their, their gentleness. You, you can always usually trust a woman more than you can trust many men. And yet this woman was so evil that God didn't have a problem having her end be this way. And it just goes to show that what you sow, you will reap. That what you sow, you will reap. And she reaped a whirlwind because she sowed to the wind in her harlotries and and leading the people into idolatry and overpowering her husband. Next week we will see her um, really taking the authority uh, again, and we're going to see this in very clear detail. Notice back in back verse 11 of our text. So the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, Ben-Hadad comes, and his messengers are making a lot of noise. And so the king of Israel, after gathering all the people of Israel, the elders together, they said, Don't consent, don't listen to him. And so the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him... Let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. And, and really what this phrase mean, means is, let not the one who starts a fight boast prematurely of winning it. Which is kind of interesting because Ahab was really outnumbered. He was outgunned. He was in a, uh, in a very bad place. But yet there was something that was ignited within him. Maybe by the, the faith of his fellow brothers. Maybe their uh, encouragement Maybe their zeal was giving him a little bit of chutzpah as well. And, so, and little did they know that God was going to deliver them. And we'll see that and, and the wonder of it all. Notice in verse 12, And it happened when Ben-Hadad heard this message, as he and the kings were drinking at the command post, and he said to his servants, Get ready. And they got ready to attack the city. So the city, of course, is Samaria, the capital. And so that's Ahab's residence. And Ben-Hadad does this when he and his men have been drinking. So they are not in their right mind. They don't have their faculties faculties available to them thinking that these people are so insignificant this judah and you know the, the, or this uh, this king is so impotent that we can just even in a drunken stupor we can take him and isn't it true what the bible says about pride uh, pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction and that's proof positive of that whole thing. And you see it all over the Bible. There's a good example. But notice in verse 13, a wonderful thing happens. God grace, God's grace shows up. Suddenly a prophet, and we don't even know who the prophet is. It's not Elijah or Elisha. If it were them, the Bible would have told us. But suddenly a prophet approached Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into your hand today, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And I think this is really wonderful. Think of how gracious God is being to Ahab, one of Israel's most corrupt kings. One of his most corrupt kings, and look at the grace that's been shown to him. Remember the grace that Elijah showed to Ahab when he was up on Mount Carmel? He said, you know, you better go eat because the rain's coming. And then when he had finished eating, he said, now, you, now that you're, you've done eating and, and have drunk, you better get down in your chariot and go to Jezreel to your, your, your summer home or whatever. You better do that quick because the rain's coming. And certainly he does, and the rain does come. 
and the grace of God with this evil man. Isn't that amazing? Most people think that God is only gracious to his servants. He is gracious to his servants, but he's also gracious to the wicked. And here's a really great example of God being very gracious. And this has nothing to do with Ahab because Ahab was a sellout. He was a completely corrupted. He deserved for his country to be overrun by the Syrians. But God says, not going to happen. And a prophet comes and tells him. And I love what, what it says in Romans 5 verse 20. It says, But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Sin has abounded in the life of Ahab, and now great, God's grace abounds much more. And God is working on so many levels, and although Ahab himself, because he is such an idolater, he deserves judgment, but God is looking at the bigger picture. God was certainly working on behalf of his people, regardless of Ahab and what he was doing. And, um, and God was working in the lives of these people. He saw the spark, the little flame that they had after the prophets of Baal were executed. And God is not, even though Ahab was a, a total mess, he looks at the other people and says, you know what, I'm going to give you another chance. And I'm going to give Ahab a chance. And don't you love that? He's the God of the second chance, the third chance, and even the 490th chance. How often should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? Seven times? God's going, no, 70 times 7. And do you really think it's 490? I think it's a lot more than that. Because I think I've pushed that button way too many times in my life. But God's grace. And he's thinking about the people. And God, even though Ahab deserves it, he's like, you know what? I see something going on here. A smoking flax he won't quench. And a, a broken reed he will not, you know, a bruised reed he won't break. He sees a little something there. He's going to fan it. He's going to get that fire going. He's not going to quench it. And so Ahab, God says to uh, Ahab through the prophet, you're going, to, you're going to take care of this. And so Ahab said, verse 14, by whom? And he said, thus says the Lord, by the young leaders of the provinces. And then he said, who will set the, the battle in order? And he says, you. <laughs> you're going to set the battle in order. Why me? I'm going to set the battle in order. It's going to be me. He's like, yeah, you. And then he mustered, verse 15, the young leaders of the provinces, and there were 232. And after them, he mustered uh, all the people, all the children of Israel, 7,000. Did God call the 7,000? Did God tell the prophet to gather all the other people too, or just the leaders, the young leaders of the provinces? Just the young leaders of the provinces. And notice what they do. They, they do send out the young leaders of the prophets or provinces, the 232, but they also backfill it with 700 people. And this reminds me an awful lot of Gideon. God winnows his, his great army down to 300 men, puts them in companies of 100, now says, you can defeat these several thousands of Amalekites. You can do it. And there are other times where they would send more behind. And God seemingly is like, allows it. But he, he does a lot with very little. Even in their lack of, even in their unbelief, God does these things. 
So they went out, notice, at noon. And that's a very bad time to go out. It's, it, it, by going out at noon, you would catch your enemy off guard because nobody does a battle at noon. It's, it's the hottest time of the day. Battles were different back then. You and I, you know, or in our day, they can happen in the middle of the night because everything's computerized. Everything's done through satellite-guided things, and you can do this in the, under, the, under darkness. But back at that time, they would usually fight in the spring. They would wait until the spring when the weather was nice before they'd go out and fight. They wouldn't fight in the wintertime. They'd wait until spring, and everyone was good with that. And, and even now, they, at noontime, you'd be loon, it'd be a lunatic to start a, you know, a battle at noon. But that's what they do. So they went out at noon, and meanwhile, Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings helping him were getting drunk at the command post. And the young leaders of the provinces went out first, and Ben-Hadad sent out a patrol, and they said to him, The men are coming out of Samaria. And so he said, If they come out for peace, take them alive, and if they come out for war, take them alive. In other words, this is just a little ragtag group of guys, nothing to worry about. You guys can take them. And then these young leaders of the provinces went out of the city with the army which followed them. And each one killed his man. And so the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the cavalry. And then the king of Israel went out and attacked the horses and the chariots and killed the Syrians with a great slaughter. And they would attack the horses and the chariots for good reason. You don't want your enemy having a chariot. So you, when you come across it, you're going to break the wheels, you're going to break it to pieces, but also even the horses, you're going to hamstring them, you're going to cut their, their tendon on the back of their legs so they, they can't go in battle anymore. So that's what he would do. And the prophet, verse 22, came to the king of Israel and said to him, go, strengthen yourself and take note and see what you should do, for in the spring of the year, remember the spring of the year, remember David when he should have gone out when kings go to battle, but he lingered behind and got in trouble with Bathsheba? It was the spring of the year when kings go to battle. So they said, take note, go strengthen yourself, the prophet says to Ahab. Take note and see what you should do. For in the spring of the year, the king of Assyria will come up against you again. So they have this great victory. And is it because of Ahab, because he was such a great guy? Because he helped the elderly woman across the street and brought in her groceries in her, in her electric car? No. Had nothing to do with that. Had to do with God's grace for his people. And you know, he's, he's that way with us, isn't he? He's a very gracious God. I think of all the mistakes that I have made and will continue to make. Not on purpose, of course, but we, we're, we're human and we make mistakes. And, and to think of the grace of God in all things. He's such a gracious and wonderful Savior. Why, why do we reserve anything from him? Why not give him all of our hearts? If he is that good, and he is then, Lord, I want to give you everything. I want to give you my whole heart, unreserved, unreservedly, I want to give it to you. All my thoughts, dreams, aspirations, everything, I just give it to you. So, verse 23, the servants of the king of Syria said to him, their gods are gods of the hills. Therefore, they were stronger than us. But if we fight against them in the plain, surely we will be stronger than them. They thought, because they were in the hill country, that God had victory over them. Because, see, these polytheistic Syrians thought that Almighty God was, just one, was equal to one of their little local deities. They thought he was equal with their local deities. 
But they fail to realize that God is the God of all gods. He's the God of all creation. He's Yahweh, the creator of heavens and the earth. Everything that is, they fail to understand. But they were stronger than we because they, their gods are gods in the hills the Syrians said. But if we fight against them in the plain, surely we're going to be stronger than them. Surely we're going to be better than them. we got the horses, we got the chariots on the flat ground. They're, they're toast. They're not going to have any hope against us. And so do this thing, they tell the king of uh, king Hadad. Dismiss the kings, each from his position, and put captains in their places. Verse 25, it says, And you shall muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot, and then we will fight against them in the plain, Surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. And so it was in the spring of the year that Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. Now this Aphek is not the Aphek up in the north, um, <clears throat> excuse me, northwest of Israel where um, the Philistines and Samuel, it's not that Aphek. There were many towns that were called Aphek. And um, this one was probably on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And so, um, so they go to Aphek to fight against Israel. In verse 27, And the children of Israel were mustered and given provisions, and they went out against them. And now the children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats. How cute and insignificant. <clears throat> Excuse me. Two little flocks out in the field all alone. And the Syrian army is all around. <laughs> Just picture that in your head. It's like certain death. And if I was the guys on the field in those two different camps, I'd be like, I really believe in you, God. <laughs> if you don't do something now, we're toast. And Lord, we're at your whim. And Lord, you got to do something. Help, help. Sometimes that's the best prayer. It's one word. I, I, use the, I say this prayer an awful lot every single day. I say help. Actually, two words, help, Lord. That's two of my favorite terms in my whole vocabulary, help, Lord. And so the children of Israel were mustered, given provisions, and, and, and they camped like two little flocks of goats while the Syrians filled the countryside. They are clearly outnumbered. They're outgunned. It's a, seemingly, it's a seeming slaughter. There's no hope for them. And the king of Syria is going, I got them right where I want them. And then verse 28, a man, of, a man of God. We don't even know. We don't even know his name. A man of God came and he spoke to the king of Israel and he said, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said, the Lord is God, in other words, the Lord, Jehovah, because they've said that Yahweh is God of the hills, but he is not a God of the valleys, therefore I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand and you shall know that I am Jehovah. You shall know that I'm Yahweh. And you know what? I think the people of God need to know that more than ever, that he is God. He is Yahweh. He is the covenant-keeping God. He is the creator. We need to remember that as well. When we come up against difficulties and strongholds and sin issues that we're fighting and struggling against and difficulties, we need to remember that he is the Lord, all caps. Never forget that. He is God. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.